electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast. Tennis, anyone? Roger Federer, tennis legend, bringing competitors to the same side of the court for this weekend's Labor Cup. The legacy is really important that we remember it uh, in tennis because we have a really rich history. And uh, Rod Laver, of course, I think was a, a hero to a lot of us. His agent and Labor Cup co-founder, Tony Godsick, and John McEnroe returns to CNBC, where he's already got friends. I want to say hello to Squawk Box. Where's Joe? You know, I did a show on CNBC, and I think Joe is my most frequent guest. (laughs) Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And a late-night twist inside the CDC. Who gets booster shots? Dr. Scott Gottlieb with the latest on COVID vaccines. We shouldn't have allowed this process to go forward the way it has. I don't know why we assumed that processes built for peacetime would be good in a wartime setting of a global pandemic. Plus, from the tennis court to the golf green and then to China. What's worse, if you get caught playing a video game for more than three hours on a weeknight or if you get caught with crypto? It's Friday, September 24th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Should we talk crypto? Yes. I mean, there's a lot to talk about here. After a Q&A statement on China's central bank website said that all cryptocurrency related transactions are illegal. This is what's going on across the board. We've got Bitcoin down close to 5 percent. We've got Ether off over 8 percent. You've got Litecoin over, uh, over 9 percent. I mean, you're, you're seeing it a push across the board. This, according to a Bloomberg report, it's in line with some recent actions China has taken to crack down on crypto, including banning businesses and banks from providing services for crypto and shutting down crypto mining. But, but people were still sure. doing it because they were able to do the, the do peer-to-peer stuff. They yeah, peer-to-peer. And, 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 you know, if you've got even a small percentage of 2 billion, right. whatever, yeah, 1.5 billion people doing it, it's still pretty active. But there was no mining there. But that there can only be... It's weird because you can only mine so much. And if right. it's not mined there, the maximum amount that can be mined is mined somewhere else. So that right. didn't really matter. And then individuals were still basically able to deal to, to play with it yep. with peer to peer. I don't know what this means. Can oh, you I, I, can the, you make it illegal? And does it what happens? Are that, they going to what's worse? What if if you get caught playing a video game for more than three hours on a weeknight <laughs> or if you get caught with crypto? My guess what, what would be get? this. Or, you because... have, if, or if you have four kids. Well, that too. I don't know. How, I, how do they enforce these things? But that's the same. That's the know, question. They're, they're not down by there. more. Bitcoin's still at 42 and change. Right. I mean, that, yeah. if you are looking at the second largest economy in the world making it illegal, you would think that that would have I bigger know. ramifications. I don't want to live there. I, I've decided. You, um, you've made the call. We got I've that drift. It. Definitely not, huh? <laughs> we yeah. got that drift. <laughs> I, I didn't harbor any illusions about that. Yeah, you that. didn't think I was headed, uh, trying to get a room. Yeah. We'll see. There's I, no delay with Eunice, really. We, I, I could theoretically rent an apartment over there and have the camera or an ipad right. uh, uh camera so you want me to go to china <laughs> you know uh, okay just when the weather but the weather turns here yeah 
No, it's, it's the same. It's always going to, with, with the amount of coal they use, it's always going to be warm over there pretty soon. An update now on the Evergrande saga. The stock there sharply lower in overnight trading in Hong Kong. The company has not uh, said whether it plans to fulfill its interest payments on its U.S. dollar bond. Now, the interest payment is due yesterday, or due yesterday, totaled $83 million. As of this morning, the company hasn't made any announcements or filings to the Hong Kong exchange, leaving investors in limbo. Even if no payment was made yesterday, the company will not technically default, though. Uh, unless it fails to make that payment within 30 days, you could be doing that report yourself. Yeah. I follow some people on the Golf Channel. Big day. Yeah, I don't know whether you... It's been three years since there's been a Ryder Cup. And that. And I wouldn't be saying this maybe ole, if it wasn't on the Golf Channel. Ole, ole, ole. Don't, don't, do not do that. That's as bad <laughs> as, a, as the oi, oi, oi with the, uh, with the Aussies at the U.S. the other U.S. Open. At the, they were doing that the entire time for Angie... Uh, for, a Barty, and she lost. But um, yeah, well, it's weird. We have we have tennis that we're going to talk today. We're talking tennis, we have big Federer tennis, and McEnroe. But yeah, but then, but it's on the day of of the Ryder Cup. So you think this is sacrilegious? What do you? No, I just think that I'm done with tennis for this year, and I'm moving on to the Brooks Kepka controversy okay. and to all these young guys. We got we got beaten badly uh, last time. And the Azinger made comments about Brooks Kepka. There's a lot going on. What's the latest well, on the Kepka thing? I haven't seen that. He, he said that all he was really saying was that it's so different. He, when, he was an amateur, when he was in school, he didn't play on teams. So now he's got a partner. And he goes, sometimes a partner puts you in a bad place. And I take responsibility Ooh. for my crappy shots. But suddenly I know we're going to lose the hole from where this guy put me. So Ouch. it's a different mindset, yeah. he said. Yeah. So Azinger said, look, if you don't like it, if you don't love the Ryder Cup, why are you there? Someone else would like to be there, like Bryson DeChambeau. Why aren't you? But then Kepka then last night said, look, I, I was not being negative. I was just saying it's different. So there's, you know, there's always like faux controversy. But we have a very young team. The, the matches that start today, uh, like there, right There's today, a nicer way he could have said that. Uh, probably. <laughs> but the matches that start today are it's Sergio and John Rahm mm-hmm. versus Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas wow. right out of the gate. How awesome is that right out of the gate? It's, it's whistling straight, but it's... This is a Nike story. It's a sports story. I'm allowed to do this. And you heard the first thing I said. Golf, Golf Channel and Peacock <laughs> Streaming. Yes, so, but I also heard it yeah, starts but, at the same time that Squawk Box is still on the air. It's, oh, you care if it's NBC. It's one big family. You go on MSNBC like every day. The happy Peacock family. family yes. Nike shares are Golf Channel uh, family. Nike shares are under pressure. Sneaker giant said supply chain congestion is hurting its business. Uh, more than previously anticipated. It lowered its 2022 outlook to account for the longer transit times, Hmm. labor shortages, and prolonged production shutdowns in Vietnam. Nike produces roughly half of its footwear and 30% of its apparel in Vietnam, which has been struggling to contain the spread of COVID-19, a lot of supply chain issues uh, with apparel makers. During the most recent quarter, Nike's revenue missed estimates as demand in North America softened, but earnings beat as the company sold more goods to shoppers uh, at full price. But you can see that uh, that's not helping uh, the Dow at all this morning because it's a Dow, Dow component, component Becky. And, and by the way, you, this is the knew. same that we heard from FedEx. You, could, you keep hearing this from more and more companies that labor's an issue, that transportation is an issue, that supply chain issues are catching up with them. Uh, and that's got to have some concerns about you know, what this earnings season is really going to look like. Right, but it all, it all sounds transitory again. That's where they get that, that, that whole... Um, not so much. Right. 
I say that, but sometimes yeah. things don't I, come back look, down. Look, even Jay Powell this week made it sound like this is not as transitory as they thought it was yeah. going to be. He uh, walked that back a little. Yeah. Costco. Uh, Costco in the news bringing back purchase limits on goods that were in short supply early in the pandemic. Also, we're putting some limitations on key items uh, like bath tissues, roll towels, Kirkland Signature water, high demand cleaning related SKUs uh, related to the uptick in Delta related demand. I don't know why, you know, <laughs> why it's toilet paper. I read paper. a story I this week before toilet paper it. was being. Why? Was, why? I, I don't know. Why? I don't get it. Why? Why is the toilet because paper so dear? People well, I, I mean, behave, I and, you know, they, it's the mentality that this is muscle memory at this point, right? They go so back to what they were doing a year and a half ago. Is it because of the absolute horror you would feel if you went to reach, like when you're in a common place and you realize, oh, my God. <laughs> and you ask right, someone next to you, can you just pass it underneath the, and then you, you're you can't reaching down. Square. And, huh? Toilet paper, paper towels, bottled water, certain cleaning products that customers could buy. These limits uh, aren't prompted by a surge in demand, but by supply chain disruptions. Costco said it had plenty of merchandise, uh, but there are two to three week delays in getting them delivered because of supply chain disruptions. Uh, Costco's revenue jumped 17 percent from a year earlier in comp sales. (laughs) Rose, 9.4%. That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, if, how do you say it's not from a surge in demand if you've got plenty? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, but maybe it's a supply chain issue. It could maybe. be both. I mean, they can't restock it as quickly. But right. if, if you, do, you don't have plenty and also set limits on things. I kind of get it. I mean, personally, I, I splurge now. But on if you are good, putting on limits on things, paper. you're not saying you're not saying you? you can only buy two rolls. You're saying you can only buy you know, two I don't cartons. Don't anything. Cheapskate. There, in this last pandemic, there was a, a pallet full came into the supermarket, and, and I knew it. So I bought a great big amount, and it was the crappiest, thinnest, <laughs> worst stuff. I got stuff. stuck with that too. And I'm st- That's right. Our fault and I'm for, still like, dealing, and I'm like. Lessons. I'm folding it over. I'm trying. I'm folding it again and again, Useless. and it's still bad. Yeah. And, and so I splurge now. I always have, but on Charmin, it's yeah. much more expensive. But it's like you know, it's like a freaking towel almost. It's not nothing's gonna. I mean, it's strong, it's soft, and it's squeezable. Reaching new lows, are we? <clears throat> not really, are we? Everybody, I don't know. This gives me you know visuals. This that? just gives me a visual. I don't want to. You don't. Don't have to think about me. You don't have to think about me. Well, as you're rolling over your hands, and I can't even. I can't even. Next, on Squawk Pod, the CDC and the FDA aren't quite on the same page with each other, with themselves, on COVID boosters. Former FDA head Scott Gottlieb joins us. Critics are going to say that, look, these agencies can't even agree on who should be eligible for a vaccine. We told you that you shouldn't be getting a vaccine. And how often will we get the shots? Probably over time, this does become a seasonal vaccine, so there'll be some kind of administration on a seasonal basis, and we'll settle into a more normalized pattern. All that right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick. The CDC very late yesterday endorsing the distribution of Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 booster shots for Americans who are age 65 and older. Those who are in high-risk occupational settings and those with pre-existing conditions, but stopping short of recommending a booster for people whose jobs or situations put them at high risk of breakthrough infections. Of course, that decision was overruled last night by the head of the CDC. Meg Terrell joins us right now with more. It's been really confusing uh, for anybody who was walking along. So why don't you just set us up and explain what happened, Meg? Yeah. So, Becky, we all went to bed last night after this vote from CDC's advisors that essentially limited what the FDA had authorized booster shots for Pfizer's vaccine for uh, just to people who are over 65, live in nursing homes or who at high risk uh, of severe outcomes because of underlying conditions. Then we woke up this morning and it turned out the CDC director had overturned that decision, essentially broadened uh, the CDC's recommendation for boosters to match what the FDA recommended. The entire sticking point, as you were saying, was about those folks who are at high risk of exposure to COVID because of their job or their settings. And we heard from the FDA uh, on Wednesday when they approved this, they were thinking that included healthcare workers, but also teachers, daycare workers, grocery store workers, people uh, in prisons and uh, in other uh, settings like homeless shelters. Uh, and so there was a ton of debate, but the advisors voted that down yesterday, essentially because they thought it really opened the door to essentially anybody who wanted to walk in and get a booster shot. Uh, so there's a lot of debate over how this played out. And it's very unusual for the CDC director or the government to overrule that advisory committee. In fact, it's only happened one other time in 2003 for a smallpox vaccine. Uh, but you are seeing some folks this morning weighing in, like Dr. Ashish Jha um, on Twitter from Brown University, saying essentially the CDC director did the right thing, that this should be aligned with the FDA and healthcare workers and others should be included here. Uh, he says, quote, this is why it's good to have a strong CDC director. Uh, but guys, just a lot of back and forth. And remember, this only applies to Pfizer's boosters, not everybody who got Moderna and J&J. Becky? How much longer for those people? Because that's probably the most frequent question I see asked or I have people asking me, if you got Moderna, if you got Pfizer, how much longer should you expect to be waiting? Yeah, and the, the advisors discussed that yesterday, and the FDA was on the call with them and essentially said, we're working with the manufacturers to do this as quickly as we can. They have Moderna's application in for a booster. Moderna filed for a half dose of the booster, which just kind of makes the regulatory situation a little bit more complicated. Dr. Fauci indicated to Hallie Jackson recently on MSNBC, it could be about two to three weeks before we see boosters for Moderna and J&J. When do you expect to get your booster, timeline-wise? As soon as it's ready, right? As soon okay. as it's, it's, yeah, as soon as it's ready, and that's going to be probably within a week. For Moderna? No, no well, actually, again, for Moderna, probably it's going to be two or three weeks until Moderna and J and J. Okay, okay. Moderna, right? I don't think we'll do yeah. a mix and match. We'll probably stick with Moderna. Even that seems very quick because we haven't heard about any FDA meetings about either of those. Um, so we'll have to see how long that takes. But there was a lot of push for. 
the panel to consider, you know, folks who got a different uh, vaccine like a J&J the first time to be able to get a Pfizer. But that was not what they ended up voting on or recommending. Meg, thank you very much. Joining us right now to talk more about this is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's former FDA commissioner and a CNBC contributor. He also serves on the boards of both Pfizer and Illumina. And he's got a new book out this week called Uncontrolled Spread, Why COVID-19 Crushed Us and How We Can Defeat the Next Pandemic. Um, Scott, let's go through this tick by tick. Um, when you saw the, the recommendations from the CDC panel where they were narrowing uh, what the FDA had kind of laid out and saying that not as many people could get boosters, what did you think? I thought it was reminiscent of what they did with the initial authorization of the vaccines back in December when they came out with a schedule on who should be eligible for the vaccines and in what order. That was overly Byzantine and slowed the actual administration of the vaccines. It was so hard to follow the initial guidance. We forget that time period when they had these different categories, 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, 2A, 2B. And they tried to narrowly define discrete populations of patients based on their own prioritization of need. Uh, and governors, some governors started to ignore the CDC recommendation and just made it available on age. Uh, Governor Lamont here in Connecticut did that. He said that he'll give it to oldest citizens first and then walk it down the age continuum. And that allowed Connecticut to deploy its vaccines much more quickly than many other states. DeSantis did that as well in Florida. So by keeping it simple, they were able to administer more vaccines. The same thing happened here where I think the CDC got overly complex in defining these different categories. And they created a regime that was going to be very complex to administer at the pharmacy counter and probably would have disadvantaged people who already face obstacles getting access to care. They left some of those provisions in. So if you're 18 to 49... Um, and you're not eligible under the occupational exposure provision, and you're eligible under the provision um, by which you have pre-existing medical conditions, they said that you still require consultation with a physician or some assessment of benefit risk, which implies consultation with a physician. So that's going to also leave in some complexity to these uh, these guidelines, even with the change by the director. How, I mean, how is that even going to be managed by the pharmacies and other places that are giving these shots out? I mean, if you go to CVS, if you go to Rite Aid, if you go to Walgreens, they basically just ask, do you fit in these? And if, if you say yes, you go ahead with that. Will this require those people to actually have a note or a, a script from a doctor? I, I just don't even know how they manage it. Yeah, it's probably going to be self-attestation that you've had a conversation with a healthcare provider who you know, de judged you to be um, indicated for it based on your own assessment of benefit and risk, which means a lot of people are going to ignore the provision. And, you know, the worst thing that you could do as a public health agency is put out provisions and guidelines that you know are going to be ignored. You want to make them practical so that you know providers and patients can adhere to them and will want to adhere to them. Um, I think ultimately the director did the right thing overruling the advisory committee. Uh, remember, it was a close vote as well. I think it was a 9-6 vote. So it wasn't like it was a resounding vote that uh, people who are at risk from occupational exposure should be denied the boosters. So I think it was the right decision because there's a lot of healthcare workers who were vaccinated last December or January who are already getting boosters. There's also a lot of people who live in se settings like prisons or assisted living facilities where they may not have underlying medical conditions, so they may not qualify that way. But the circumstances in which they live, we know puts them at high risk for breakthrough infections. And we are starting to see some bad outcomes in those settings. So I think that this aligns with where the public health really is going to require, you know, some additional um, opportunity for people to get boosters. 
Scott, my big concern is that this creates incredible confusion uh, for anybody who's looking at this, trying to figure out if they should be getting the booster or not. Um, the CDC chief overruling, you've said that this was a good idea. We just mentioned Dr. Jha saying it was a good idea. There are other people who are going to look at it and say, well, wait a second, this is the Biden administration overreach and this is what the Democrats want. As a Republican who was appointed to lead the FDA by Donald Trump, what do you say to that? Well, look, this is a lot of what I get into in the book. I think that we superimposed a system that was designed for peacetime. Uh, basically, this system that we're seeing play out was designed to administer the pediatric vaccination schedule. That's primarily what they do. FDA approves vaccines for the pediatric population. CDC opines on whether or not it should go into the schedule, the mandatory schedule for childhood immunization. We took that scheme and thought that it would be applicable to a public health crisis. Really, what we should have done is reimagine that process and tried to get FDA and CDC in closer alignment, maybe in one seamless process, recognizing that if you had discrepancies between the two agencies, it was going to create confusion and it was going to create fodder for those who want to sow dissent and sow confusion. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. People, people, critics are going to say that, look, these agencies can't even agree on who should be eligible for a vaccine. We told you that you shouldn't be getting a vaccine. So we shouldn't have allowed this process to go forward the way it has. I don't know why we assumed that processes built for peacetime would be good in a wartime setting of a global pandemic. Hey, Scott, uh, in relation to boosters, and maybe this is now looking at a little bit, a number of companies, as you very well know, are mandating vaccines and the like. But at some point, we're going to get into a situation where it's going to be very hard for companies, I would imagine, to actually track who's got the booster, who doesn't, um, when, this ex- when this one expires, when this one doesn't. J&J is different than Moderna. Moderna is different than Pfizer. How does this work over time? Yeah, I, I, look, I think that it's already going to be hard to track that. I think Probably businesses are going to um, certify that you've been vaccinated, you've you've received the initial vaccine series, and I think it's going to become very hard to track whether or not people have received boosters or whether or not uh, having a booster even makes you more protected in a workplace setting. I don't think that they're at the point where they can draw that conclusion right now. Um, You know, probably over time this does become a seasonal vaccine, so there'll be some kind of administration on a seasonal basis, and we'll settle into a more normalized pattern. Scott, you've told us in the past, and and your book goes into this too, about how the CDC really wasn't equipped for this. You just mentioned it before. Uh, The Trump administration went to extremes, and and you had President Trump kind of tweeting his frustration with the process. It it seemed like the Biden administration has has played a little more hands-off to this point, but this step from the director, from Michelle Walensky, uh, does that indicate that maybe the Biden administration has reached some frustration with it too, or should we not read that into it? I think you should. I think both administrations have made mistakes. The Trump administration made the mistake. They recognized that the CDC wasn't equipped to handle the task of responding to the pandemic, but they didn't know how to reform the CDC. They didn't know how to support it. They didn't know how to provide it proper resources. They just browbeat it publicly, which was exactly the wrong thing to do. The Biden administration came in and said, look, we're not going to browbeat the CDC. We're not going to interfere at all. And they've been very hands off. And I think that there's a middle ground there somewhere where you have to support the agency, support the people there. There's very good people there. But you have to try to move it in a direction where you reform the agency and also reform the processes by which the agency goes about dealing with public health crisis of this magnitude. They are just not equipped to deal with this kind of a global public health crisis. They don't have the logistical capability. They don't have the resources. They don't have the analytical capability. So you need it to create different processes and start to align agencies more closely together in a seamless uh, process like, like FDA and CDC. 
see. In Israel, they didn't rely on their normal regulatory process to authorize their boosters. They brought together their top experts from across the regulatory agencies in one single process. They got in a room. They had an open meeting that was in public. 50 experts, they made a decision, and they moved forward. That's what we could have done here. We didn't have to follow this highly staged process where each agency acted independently. We could have brought FDA and ASIP together in one large advisory committee. There's no reason we couldn't do that. There's nothing written in law saying that it has to be this way. We basically took a process for authorizing pediatric vaccines and coming up with a pediatric vaccine schedule, which is highly staged, highly deliberative by design, and it works quite well, and we superimposed it on making decisions in a public health crisis, a fast-moving public health crisis. That was a mistake. No one had the vision to see how this would play out. Now, in retrospect, we have to go about reforming these processes and have a different process for a crisis like this. I will say, kind of, you know, I've never really been into watching FDA meetings, panel meetings, and CDC panel meetings, and kind of being hinged on what's been happening over the last couple of weeks with this. Um, I understand some of the concerns that they brought up, some of the longer term, what if this happens? Will people read this into it? I I get those things and I understand their frustration with not having enough data. Your job is to look at the data and then say, should we recommend based on the data? There's not a lot of data. Part of that's because the CDC is not collecting some of this data. Part of this is because it's a real time pandemic and you just don't have data for things that don't exist. Look, that's absolutely right. I mean, we haven't been collecting data systematically in this country. They were forced to rely a lot on data collected in Israel and UK, in the UK, which puts them in an uncomfortable position because there's a presumption that infectious diseases are experienced, experienced differently in different populations. Um, you know, we're going to be collecting data now going forward, prospectively recognizing where the gaps were. But it, they were put in a hard position. There's scrutiny on what they're doing. These, these meetings are held in public. You know, these are ultimately political decisions. They're going to get personally scrutinized for how they weigh in and the decisions they make. There's a lot of pressure in these settings. That's why I think that we should design a different process in these kinds of situations, these kinds of public health emergencies, um, when decisions have to be made on partial information. It's always going to be imperfect in these settings. We're never going to have complete information. You're constantly behind the ball and collecting data in a fast-moving crisis like this. So you have to have a process that's designed to be impervious to those kinds of pressures. This process wasn't. I mean, we, we took a process that was designed to be highly deliberative, and we tried to use it to make decisions in a fast-moving crisis. Have you, I mean, not that I'm asking you to violate confidential conversations you've had, but I'm sure you've been talking to colleagues, former colleagues, people in past administrations, maybe even this administration, too. What's the sense you got around this, that you get around this? Is there frustration? Do they feel like things are going well? What do you think? Well, look, FDA... Um, over time has been frustrated by this CDC process in the past. Even when I was at FDA, you know, Meg talked about the 2003 decision. There were other decisions where ASIP made um, recommendations that on the margins narrowed the scope of what the FDA authorization was, including in Gardasil, for example, but there were many others. And that would create frustration within the vaccine group at FDA that ASIP would be deviating even slightly from the FDA authorization. So it's not unprecedented that ASIP did that. It's unprecedented unprecedented that they did it in more of this wholesale fashion. I can tell you that yesterday there was frustration inside FDA um, about the ASIP decision and how much they deviated from the FDA decision. Dr. Gottlieb, thanks again for being with us. Really appreciate it. Cheese will be next.
Coming up on Squawk Pod, tennis legend and Grand Slam champion Roger Federer and his agent Tony Godsick launched the Labor Cup together. And today they're kicking off its third tournament. We could do something for the legacy of the game and incorporate all the young ones coming through and learning from the best, like John and Bjorn, as an example. Bjorn Borg? John McEnroe? Wait, speaking of that last one, turns out he knows our Joe Kernan. Some things never change, and you still got your wig on, right? Still got my wig on. Tennis champs and old friends, right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Up track, stand by Joe. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross. Treasury yields are up finally. Um, this is it. This is it. They're going up. They're headed higher. They're going one and a half is next. Uh, after that, it's two. And we're definitely going up this time. Um, that's the 10th time at least that we've thought that, I would say so. Uh, but, you know, the Fed may taper someday, maybe as early as, what, November. They may raise rates earlier, maybe next year instead of the year after. Maybe we're finally seeing a little bit of uh, a, more, a return to what you would think is normalcy at this point for what we're facing. Becky, uh, we've well, been Especially with so much strong demand. Scratching the consumer our doing heads, so well. Right. The jobs picture improving. Um, yeah. Maybe this, is this it? You going to go? Will you say this is it? Would you bet your life on that? No. No, I wouldn't bet my life on that. I don't know what I'd bet. I wouldn't bet my life on much. Just about anything. Yeah. Right. Five bucks, that's a different story. The International Tennis Tournament, the Labor Cup, kicks off today. It's a three-day affair with 12 top tennis players and an even more impressive legacy. It's also a nearly sold-out event that has to be staged with COVID concerns in mind. Joining us right now to talk about all of this is Roger Federer. He's a co-founder of the Labor Cup, which is one we all know about. He's also one of the greatest tennis players of all time with 20 Grand Slam singles titles. Tony Godsick is a fellow co-founder and chairman of the Labor Cup. And John McEnroe, a tennis legend, a champion and current Labor Cup world team captain. And gentlemen, welcome to all three of you. Uh, Roger, I was hoping we could start off just talking about the cup itself, who Rod Laver was to you and, and why this platform is so important. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, the legacy is really important that we remember it uh, uh, in tennis because we have a really rich history. And uh, Rod Laver, of course, I think was a, a hero to a lot of uh, us, especially Bjorn Borg, uh, also to John. And then to me, he's that big legend who was able to win uh, two times the Grand Slam, winning all four majors in the same year. And he is also the one that went from uh, amateur sport to professional sport. So um, that's where the idea came in with uh, Tony and myself once on a ride in Shanghai that we could do something for the legacy of uh, 
of the game and incorporate all the young ones coming through and learning from the, the best, like John and Bjorn as an example, and um, having the like, uh, rivals become teammates. And I think the first three editions have been wonderful in Prague, Chicago, and also in Geneva. And now finally we're here in Boston starting today. John, you are just ubiquitous when it comes to tennis. I think everybody knows you, any tennis fan anywhere, um, because of your years of involvement, what you do in terms of announcing. But this in particular, with working with some of the younger players, um, what does it mean to you, and how do you think your chances are versus Team Europe? Well, first of all, Becky, I want to say hello to Squawk Box. Where's Joe? I can't He's see coming. anyone. He's here. Joe, uh, I, I'm here. Joe, I'm here, John. Joe, Joe avoid, is avoiding me because um, he was on my show. You know, I did a show on CNBC, and I think Joe was my most frequent guest. Okay. And at that time, was. he was espousing you lower. You were espousing. You were espousing lower taxes for the rich, I believe, because I heard a segment you just talked Still, about. Nothing. See, nothing's changed. You know, was, nothing's changed. Well, that's what I'm. That's what I'm about to ask. Because you, Bezos and uh, these guys like Zuckerberg, they're doing okay. So, I'm, are you feeling okay about them paying no tax at all? All these guys, and then I'll answer the question. <laughs> we just had that discussion. In the tax bill, we're not taxing them again. We're just taxing merely wealthy people like you. John, John? you need to come and just sit yeah. where I sit, and then it'll work a lot better. Hey, some things never change, and and you're and you still got your wig on, right? <laughs> I still. <laughs> Still got my wig on, but you know what? When when did you finally leave? Because I barely recognize you, but I look exactly the same. That's which is kind of which is kind of weird. It was seven. God. It was seventeen. It was seven with you, okay? But my golf game has gotten better. Okay. John, I was going to say something but, really hey, nice about. The- I was going to say something really nice about you. I but Becky, I think we need to talk to uh, to Tony. For a second, right back, and then I, or before I we... I even answer the question. Let, let John answer the question, and, and, but right. Joe's got, he's fired up about this, John. He's got a ton of stuff No, I got a million you. things, Johnny, because oh, I don't end, know... Okay, the, okay, you just hang on. Okay, go ahead, Joe. It's your no, show. I was, I was, no, I, I told you, I, it, we should not allow stock to appreciate, borrow against it, and never pay any tax on it. But that's not in this bill. They, they ignored that. They ignored carried interest. And now they're, so, you know... If you want to, if you figure out a good way to do that, I'm for that. It's not going to solve our problems because there's not enough money there, even with all the billionaires. There's not enough money to, to solve all our problems. But what I was going to say to you was, and I, I don't really feel like saying it now. You're not worthy. But I was going to say we may not know who the we may not know who the greatest tennis player of all time was. Maybe it's Laver. Maybe it's. I mean, the three generational guys, you got one of them sitting there. I mean, how, how do we have three guys, that, that generational players, that will never see that happen again, that, that we were so blessed to have those three? But you are by far, and I'm not blowing smoke, the best tennis analyst. I, I, can, I mean, when, when you do the U.S., if you're not there, I'm not getting the full picture of what's going on. So that's all. And you know that, I think. People must tell you that all the time, right? Well, well. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. It's, you know, as you know, because you're doing it in your show every day, it's, it's easier to be the backseat driver. You know, we should do this. We should do that. And um, so I'm, yeah, but, I'm thankful that I have the opportunity. To, well, go ahead. Go well, ahead. No, what I was going to get to is like, question. for example, for <laughs> example, for, for example, when you talk about talk. when you talk, uh, I, I want to talk about men's versus women's tennis, because in the U.S., I don't even care we don't have a U.S. guy with these three guys. With those three, I'll be sad when, when you know, they're no longer around. But women, it, we just have, it was so amazing what we saw this year. Was it not? Didn't you enjoy that, Macaron? 
Yes, I did enjoy it very much. Uh, you had some totally unpredictable things take place, unheard of, you know. Yeah. Almost as crazy as, you know, what we've been going through in the last, you know, 100 years. It's been a tough time for a lot of people. And so to come out the other end and have full capacity crowds and have an 18 and 19 year old that one of them whom qualified, I mean, that hasn't happened in the history of our sport. And that's part of what Roger, I know, let me finish now, <laughs> that Roger's trying to bring back with this, with this Labor Cup is, you know, to think out of the box, do something different. You know, it's an individual sport. I love team sports. I played team sports. And this has been a huge success. So I'm quite hopeful that I'll be part of it a little bit longer. I know my days are numbered because I've lost all three times. <laughs> So I'm under the gun right now, but I've loved being part of this. I think the players have, the fans are, are pumped up. So, you know, the tennis has to think out of the box more to get themselves back in the mix. Over to you, Mr. Federer and Mr. Godsick. <laughs> well, Tony, let's jump into you because the whole reason for this cup, I mean, you're an amazing agent. I think part of that is because you know what people want. People want to see these legends. They want to see play in this way. How did this come about, and how are you dealing with the COVID changes? It sold out event this year after being canceled last year. Yeah, thanks, Becky. Um, we wanted to do, as Roger said, we wanted to do something to honor Rod Laver and his fellow Barnstormers, who sort of took off like four and a half years from playing Grand Slams to usher in the professional game. So we, uh, we were really into the Ryder Cup. We liked what they were doing. We thought, how great would it be if rivals could become teammates? I mean, normally with uh, other events, you see country versus country, and this gave a, an opportunity for for rivals to be on the same team. So we sort of just sketched it out on a piece of paper and, and, and the format is what works. And so we've been very uh, fortunate to have, uh, this is our fourth sellout um, since we started in Prague and uh, people love it. Uh, the players get together. These guys are killing each other uh, day in and day out on the tour. And so giving them an opportunity to sort of be on a team for one weekend would be great. Now in terms of COVID, it's, uh, it's true. It was, it was a tough year we had to take last year off, obviously. Um, the whole world has been suffering, um, but we've, you know, we decided we needed to run it this year, and um, you know, we've got three levels of protection here in, uh, in Boston. Um, the city of Boston has mandated masks, so everyone in the building will have to wear a mask. We, on top of that, said, okay, everyone who's got a vaccine card needs to show it, and if you aren't vaccinated, then you need to show a PCR test within 48 hours. So for us, the most important thing uh, this year here in Boston is to provide a healthy uh, event. And uh, you see it. Wimbledon had full crowds. The U.S. Open did an amazing job. They had full crowds, and, and we'll have full crowds here. So we're certainly very excited for this weekend. Hey, Roger, can we, can we talk sneakers? Because, you know, you're now an owner. You're not a wage earner. John's going to go after your taxes when this is all done. But you're wearing your own <laughs> sneakers that just, just had the IPO. I'm curious what you're thinking about this business and what you think. It, I, I'm very curious what it actually looks like in a couple of years from now and whether it, it, it looks and even can get directionally into the places of, of the Nikes and the Adidas and, and the, other big, the other big brands. Does it look like that or does it look like something else to you? Well, I mean, it's been a very exciting sort of last two, three weeks. I mean, a few months right now, obviously, getting ready for the IPO and speaking to all the investors. And I think... Uh, the, the guys are extremely happy how everything went. The excitement around uh, on running right now is, is huge. I'm wearing the Labor Cup edition on shoes, the Rogers. And uh, it's, been, it's been wonderful working with them. I mean, they're a great group of guys. I think they have their, uh, their goals set uh, really high. I, I am very confident about the future. And of course, I'm following the stock on a daily basis right now, even though I've been told, don't look. Let's see in a few year, years where they're going to be. 
but I think uh, they're a very exciting brand right now. I'm happy to be part of them. Um, I just uh, played at Wimbledon and the entire year actually in the new Roger Pro shoe that I designed together with On Running, and uh, it's been, been a wonderful partnership. They live down the street from me in Zurich, and so I see them all the time. I spend like 20 days working on stuff with them, and I think there's going to be many, many more things to come, maybe working on a new shoe as well already as we speak. And uh, me personally, I'm very confident about On, and it's great to be part of that team. Hey, John, one, one of the things, getting back to the, the sport itself, one of the things that I was trying to compliment you on was you yourself at one point when you got on the big stage, I'm not sure which one it was, either Wimbledon or U.S. Open, you were able to say that you were totally overwhelmed and had to go back and, and, and build up that experience. And, and in that way, you were able to explain Radicanu's uh, situation or even to some extent Naomi Osaka. There's immense pressure that none of us, except for maybe you and, and people that have been in that position, have any idea what that must be like when you're 18 or 19 years old. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was 18, my first Wimbledon, I got to the semis, I played Jimmy Connors, my legs were literally shaking, um, and uh, it was completely overwhelming. I was trying in a tiny way to compare myself to Emma when she was forced to leave the court at Wimbledon mm -hmm. and not come back, you know, and we were all like that, you know, the, the occasion got to her. And, and by the way, remember, that's when crowds really started coming back. So it was a bit overwhelming. But whatever's happened in between Wimbledon and the U.S. Open for her, someone should hire that person because <laughs> um, I've never seen a, a turnaround as incredible as that. And Osaka, you know, I worry about her because while I think it's important that we talk about mental health, and that's an issue that's been going on a long time, obviously, for a lot of people in a lot of different vocations, but now I think people are going to pay even closer attention to her. So that worries me. But the, hey, John, the fact that there were crowds there brought look, up the level. Stop talking. OK, in, thank you. In, no, in closing, I just wanted, want you to think of one thing. Try to figure out why Novak and Zverev and so many other players live in Monte Carlo and then get back to me on that tax uh, discussion. That, yeah, that I, we I can, know the that, answer that, to that, but America, <laughs> I, I, I know the answer, but American can't, Americans can't do that, number one. I, okay. So we should continue to tax Bezos, Zuckerberg, and oh, Do you feel, Buffett, you one, yourself too? How Let's about you two? You're doing all right. You're doing all right. Are you under tax, do you I, think, I'm John? I am, I'm happy to pay my 40 I know, but are Do you feel under tax? City to try to... Do I feel under tax? No, I don't feel under tax. God bless you. Okay. Yeah, he feels, he does not Bezos. feel under tax. And I'm neither do you. Oh, he Jesus. said he does not I'm feel under tax. You're right. You are with him because you don't okay, either. If you don't mind. <laughs> I pay, right. I, I, I'm doing the, the straight ahead way, folks. And it's great to see you. And the bottom line is uh, pray for us because the Labor Cup starts in a couple hours. And Rod Labor was my idol. And I'd like to win it. Zero out of four isn't good. Very good. Roger, John, Tony, thank you. Thanks for listening to Squawk Pod. And our podcast turns two this weekend. Terrific twos. It has been an eventful two years of bringing listeners the smartest interviews and best moments from our three-hour morning show. September 2019 was like a different planet. Special thanks to Squawk Box hosts Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and the hardworking team of producers, crew, and everyone else behind the sounds. Squawk Pod is produced by me, Katie Kramer, Cameron Costa, and Caroline Rohotis. John Lazration is our editor. And you 
You are the most important. If you like what you hear on Squawk Pod, let us know on Twitter or in a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And let others know, too. Share this podcast with a listener you know. And that's it. Have a great weekend. We will meet you right back here on Monday. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.